We're delighted that we are able to worship together today on this Easter Sunday morning. On behalf of the leadership and the staff here at State College Alliance Church, I'm honored to welcome you and to greet you today. We're praying that today will be a powerful encounter as we worship our risen Savior and celebrate the centerpiece of our faith. And you know, probably a lot of people, of course, we say that. Well, go to the centerpiece of our faith. We're praying, but we are praying. I mean, we've been praying daily for God encounters, God-sized commitments, you know, that God would wake us up in some, in some special ways today. God would bring and breathe life over us. So today, friends, we're participating in an event celebrated by a third of the global population. It is this weekend that unites us under the reality of the greatest act of love and triumph that the human race has ever known. This week, we have taken time to contemplate the cross, and today we celebrate the empty tomb. So whether you're here as a long-term member of our church, or maybe you're a guest from another town, another state, another country, or even another continent, we are delighted that you are here with us as we celebrate these words. He is risen. Amen. Our prayer for you today is that your faith will be deepened, that new faith will be kindled, that we would look at the mystery of the cross and the unstoppable power of Christ being made manifest even here today. I also want to just draw your attention. We have some response cards. You might be sitting on yours. Uh, So go ahead and get that handy because we want to hear from you today. We want to hear what God's doing in your life. So without apology, we would love to say at the end of the service, if the Lord is speaking to you to a a certain commitment, a point of decision, uh, a step, whether it's exploration or commitment, a declaration of your faith. Some of you would say, I'm I'm ready to go public with my faith in, in baptism. That's an awesome commitment. So we're going to call you to some of those commitments today. If the Lord is stirring you in that direction, we would love to hear about it. I would also say, sort of off the script, the Lord might be stirring something in your heart today that you just, I just want to tell somebody what God is doing. Uh, we got some cards from the first service of people just saying, this. it's not on the card, but I just want you to know, this is what God's doing in my, in my life today. We would love to hear that. So find a blank space on that card and write in what the Lord is stirring in your commitment today. We'll call you to that at the end of the service, but we want to make sure that you have those handy. So if you're a guest with us, uh, first of all, we're glad that you're here We want you to know that we've started a a series or a theme called The Wondrous Cross uh, in which we're going to be covering that actually for a lot of weeks. And so one thing we want to note is that we have these devotionals at the info desk out there. We also have some other books and some things you might be interested in, especially if you're not able to come back and be with us again next week or in the following weeks. Pick up one of those devotionals and take it with you. We would be delighted to make that our gift to you. We put these out here last week, and man, you guys snarfed them up. We had to order more because they all got, all got taken and stuff, which was great. Great problem to have. So we've got a few more supplied out there. We We hope that that'll be a blessing to you. Uh, The other thing is to let you know that we put all of our sermons online. So if if you want to continue to stay in touch with us through the duration of this series, even if you're not able to be physically with us or if you're joining us online today and want to continue to do that, we would invite you to do that. We would love to stay in touch with you throughout the duration of this series and even beyond. So today is the third message in our series, The Wondrous Cross. And we've covered a lot of ground. Last Sunday, we were talking on Palm Sunday about the cross as the great revealer. 
reminding us of that which is temporary and that which is eternal. The cross revealing the sovereign plan of God's salvation. And you know, for me, I just I had to take a moment even this morning as I was thinking about this, this beautiful revelation of God's salvation. You know, today, millions of people will encounter the gospel today. Not all right here, scattered out in churches across this town and towns across this state and across this country and around the world, people will encounter the gospel. Thousands of people in this state alone will make commitments to Jesus Christ. That's awesome. And that's not just an Easter Sunday thing. This is the ongoing revelation of God's salvation. So we talked about the, the cross being the great revealer. Good Friday, just a few days ago, we talked about when fears are stilled at the foot of the cross, the wondrous cross that stills our fears. And fear is sort of an odd thing. We all wrestle with it on one level or another. I was sort of intrigued by an article I read several years ago uh, by, a, by a paper in, the, in, the, in England uh, where they were talking about phobias that people have, and they said that the fear of death, which we all deal with on some level, is actually eclipsed by the fear of public speaking. <laughs> Meaning that if you were at a funeral, you would almost rather be the person in the coffin than giving the eulogy. Some of, you, some of us, we deal with fear. Fear is an odd thing, but fear is being stilled at the foot of the cross. So we're talking about that on Good Friday, and, and I'll tell you what, it was... It was some holy moments. I mean, many of you were with us right here in this room just on Friday as we were gathering around the communion table and just experiencing the presence of God in a substantial way. And that happens when we contemplate the cross. So powerful stuff. Now it's Easter Sunday morning. So what we contemplate on Friday, we now celebrate on Sunday that Christ is risen. So let me just give you the context in case, in case you don't know you know, you say, like, I just sort of showed up to church today. I didn't realize there was a, a big thing happening. In case you don't know, Matthew chapter 28 talks about after the Sabbath on, the, on dawn on the first day of the week, it was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. They're going to look at the tomb of Christ. Jesus has been crucified. And it says there was a violent earthquake and an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and he's rolling back the stone that was in front of the tomb and then he sits down on it. Uh, the guards that are there, they pass out. They become like dead men. And then verse 5 of Matthew 28, the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. That's what we're celebrating when we celebrate Easter Sunday. Today's message is entitled, The Mystery of the Cross. So as we continue in our series on the wondrous cross, today, the mystery of the cross. Let me share a quote with you from Greg Tobin, a very articulate author uh, who writes in his article, The Mysteries and Meanings of the Cross of Christ. He says this, the mystery of the cross is an invitation for believers to reflect on the willingness of their creator to suffer the worst degradation imagined by someone like them, and so unlike them as to redeem them from their sins. If I were to give a very brief outline of today's message, it would look like this. The mystery of the cross and the depths of the gospel. The mystery of the cross and the great reversal. And then finally, the mystery of the cross and the point of decision. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, you can flip there. If not, we have the scriptures on the screen for you today. We're gonna read a short passage that will allow us to look at the mystery of the cross 
together today. So Mark chapter 10, verse 42 and following, it reads this way. Jesus called them together, that is his disciples, and he said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to become first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, that's a reference to himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And God had blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Uh, let me ask you just for a moment to think about what is your expectation today? What, what, are, you, what are you seeking? What are you asking the Lord for, I wonder? Um, that's a good question, actually. I think probably any time that you're coming to church or you do, you know, what, what, are we, what are we actually seeking? What are we asking God to do? Uh, as I mentioned, we've been, we've been praying throughout this week for God encounters. We've been praying that God will really show spiritual breakthrough. Uh, this morning, uh, Amy came down. We, we both were up early. We we're praying together, praying for today. Uh, and she goes, well, I don't know if this is a bad sign, but the first thing that I did when I got out of bed was knock over the glass of water that was on my bedstand and made a huge mess. She said, that, that may be a bad sign. And I said, or, or, it's overflow. <laughs> We're praying for overflow, right? And so, Holy Spirit overflow, you know, and what he wants to do among us today, this is a, a good thing. We're asking for his agenda, right? We're asking for him to meet us. I, I don't want to manipulate your response. I don't want to say this is how you should receive Easter and the message of the cross and the mystery of the cross, but if we would make some space to say, okay, what, what is the Lord asking of me? What is he desiring to do? That's good. And we experience the overflow of the Holy Spirit among us. That's good. So expectation. So the first thing we want to look at in this passage is, is the depth of the gospel, the mystery of the cross and the depths of the gospel. So we should note that these words that we just read from Mark chapter 9, they come when Jesus is, uh, his disciples are, they're arguing about which is the greatest, you know, which is a wonderful sort of servant, servant leader mindset, you know. So which of us is greater? Which one's gonna sit at your right hand? And this was his response to say, guys, you have to understand that to be great in the kingdom means you gotta learn to serve. And, and he was actually cluing them into something really quite profound here. But we should note, these words were spoken by Jesus before the cross, before the empty tomb, before the things that we're celebrating today. So imagine the disciples of Christ who clearly didn't get the message then, and we know this because of the way that they reacted to the crucifixion of Christ. I mean, they were, they were absolutely devastated not just from probably the trauma of seeing just the savage beating and, and killing of their leaders, of their leader, but they're, they're confused, they're fearful, they're despondent, and I suspect that only after Christ is revealed to them and begins to explain to them, look, this is what I was leading to the whole time. This is actually what I was talking about. They probably had these moments, and you've probably had these moments where it's like, ah, it was right, right there. How do we not see this? 
You know, so, so here's Jesus. He's talking about servant leadership and what does it really mean to be great. And essentially what he says is, as what feels like a footnote, and by the way, the Son of Man didn't come to serve, but not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's a loaded, loaded statement. So I'm envisioning the disciples talking about Jesus after the fact and saying like, well, wait, he... Wait, did he say give his life? Did he actually say that? Did he say that? I don't, I, did he say that? Mark, did you write this down? I did write it. He did say it. You know, did he actually say give his life as a ransom? I mean, was that what, when he was talking to us about leadership, when he was talking to us about being servants, did he actually say he was gonna give his life as a ransom? He, I, he did. Here's the point I'm getting at. I, I suspect that the disciples of Jesus Christ spent the rest of their natural lives uncovering the depths of the gospel clues that had been already embedded to them. I just, I just can see it. You know, as they're writing letters to one another, as they're ministering and doing different things. Do you remember that he said this? It was right there in front of us. He talked about giving his life. He talked about what he was going to do. There is a depth to the gospel Here's the, here's the beautiful thing, that many of us, we, many of us begin our journey with Jesus even as children, because there's a simplicity to, to what happened in the Easter account. There's a, there's a simplicity to it that even a child can understand it. Jesus said to be the Son of God, came and lived among us, died a sinner's death, but God raised him from the dead on the third day, and in that, that glorious rejoicing that we have of the resurrection means that we would have life eternal, forgiveness of sins, and the conquering of death. Even a child can understand that. But then when you really sit down and begin to plumb the depths of it, you find that it is profound. So much so that, you know, I've been walking with the Lord for the better part of three decades, and I find myself still sort of in awe at times at the depths of the gospel. And many of you could probably attest to that as well, how deep this thing actually goes. I don't know if you've ever traveled on uh, Route uh, Interstate 79 going north from Pittsburgh to, to Erie. It's not that far from here. It's close to where I grew up or whatever. But as you go up that, that period, that, that passage of, of road, there's a section in the Geneva Swamp. How many of you know where the Geneva Swamp is? You know what I'm talking about? The Geneva Swamp, right? So that when, and, and the Geneva Swamp is sort of legendary. I, I'm not sure how much of the legend is true, but there's these legends about the Geneva Swamp that was so deep that they could not find the bottom of it. And they had to create floating apparatuses when they built this bridge just so that they could make this thing uh, span the, this swamp. There's stories of, of entire machines falling into the swamp and just disappearing. So deep is this bottomless swamp. Entire railroad cars going down into the swamp and they couldn't find the bottom of it. So I grew up sort of close to there. I was convinced there had to be like a, a route to Loch Ness or something like that through the Geneva Swamp. I don't think that there is. <laughs> but I'm talking, about, I'm talking about depth. I like that that was an amen. Thank you, Pat. <laughs> amen. I'm talking about depth of the gospel, though. That like, this idea that you can keep digging and keep 
plumbing and keep exploring and keep searching and never get to the bottom of the treasure of this thing called the gospel, the basic message of the gospel, easy to understand. Many of us begin our journey with Jesus as children, but you can live it out for decades and keep learning, keep growing, keep digging, keep exploring. And so I wanna talk about that for just a minute. A good way to explore the gospel And I especially want to talk to the person who is here out of obligation. Somebody asked you to come, and so you're like, uh, you're cute, I'll oblige you. (laughs) Maybe, I don't know. Or you're insistent, so I'll oblige you. I'll go to church with you. I'll see what you believe or, or whatever. You know, to the person that would admittedly say, I'm kind of in a skeptic's place, or I I don't know really what I believe about all this stuff. In fact, you might rightly say, I think it's kind of odd that you guys are here talking about a person coming back to life and celebrating your own eternal life with him. I mean, these these are odd words. Let's just acknowledge that. I want to encourage you, as you're asking questions, to ask good why questions. The what of Easter is easy. You already know it. We already read it. You've heard it. You know what the the what of Easter is. Why? Why? Ask good why questions. For example, why does Jesus, who never wrote a book and never fought a war and never owned property and declined political power and who never traveled more than a couple hundred miles from his place of birth. Why does he continue to have a global and growing following while most of us will be all but forgotten in two generations? That last part of that statement is a little depressing, but I don't think it's wrong. Why is that? We're naturally curious creatures, right? Um, we, we, I don't know if you're like me, but probably you are. We, we naturally, we, we sort of want to know, you know, and so we, we ask good why questions. We sort of dig in. We don't like to have things unresolved. So we ask good why questions. Uh, the other day I was, I was sitting in my office and the whole family was here because it's Easter week and it's, we're a ministry family and so we're all running around doing different things at the church and I was in my office and I got distracted by a math question. And, and, and it was one of, I just couldn't get my, my head off of it, and I'm too dumb to figure it out. So I'm sitting there like, ah, I want to know the answer. And so now some of you, because you're curious creatures, you're saying, well, like, well, well what was it? Because I'm probably better at math than you is what you're thinking, right? And I could probably figure it out for you real quickly. And frankly, a lot of you probably could. Uh, I, I brought it for you if you want to see it. This is, the, this is it. In this sequence of numbers, what is the missing blank? And for whatever reason, I stared at this, and I couldn't figure it out. And it was, it was bothering me. I couldn't figure it out. And so then I knew my kids were in the building, and so I was like, hey, you guys are good at figuring things out. I said, this is bothering me. Come help me figure it out. So now they're looking at it, and they didn't figure out at first glance either. I know. We're not the greatest math family. How many of you already know the answer? Yeah, okay. You know. Yeah, you're good. Didn't take you much time. Do you want to yell it out if you're brave? 64, four cubed, so it's a cubed, it's, it's, it's the, some of you are like, I'm not sure what a cubed number is. Well, then we gotta, we gotta have another discussion, but it's just a sequence of, it's a sequence of cubed numbers. So the interesting thing is, so, so I'm, I'm having my kids look at it, and, and then they're a little stumped, and then, I, then it comes to me, I realize, oh, I know what it is. Like, don't, don't tell me, don't tell me, don't tell me. They wanna figure it out. They wanna figure it out. They wanna figure it out. 
when you, when you ask good why questions, what you're saying is, and I think it's good, I think it actually honors the heart of God. I, I, wanna, I wanna figure this out. Now there is a mystery to the cross. So the fact that you would be able to fully comprehend all that God has done for you, you're never gonna fully plumb the depths of that. But asking good why questions. Why the emergence of the church? Why is it still in existence today? Why the global following of Christ? And I've got another one for you that maybe would get a little bit closer to home. Why do people believe this? That's a good question, frankly. And you might be asking it from a place of deep skepticism. You might be asking it from a deep, deep place of uncertainty. I don't know where you're coming, but we ask the question, why would people believe this? And I'll give you a little, a little heads up. If, you, if you're serious about digging into the question and actually talk to people, why do you believe this? Like, why would you use words like commit your life to a person who lived on this earth 2,000 years ago? Like, what in the world does that even mean? That's a great question. It's a great question. And here's what you'll find. If you talk to people, you will find that there are people who commit themselves, they come to church, they, do the, they, they hang out in these circles frequently, but they're doing it because that's just kind of what they know. It's just they, they kind of go through the motions. It's a tradition to them, and so they just do that. That's not a horrible, horrible thing. It's just that their commitment level doesn't go much deeper than the fact that they would say, I just, this is what I know, this is what I do, this is what we do. These are my people. And then there, there are gonna be other people that you connect with. You ask them that question and they would say, you know, to be honest with you, I wrestle with why I do this. Like that's a legitimate response as well. The people say, I, I wrestle with this. I, I sometimes, I deal with my own doubts. I'm dealing with my own stuff of, of why and what does it really mean to, to follow Christ? So you'll, you'll have that experience as well. That's just good, honest responding. But if you ask the question, and you don't have to go far, you can find people even in this room. You'll find people who will say, the gospel of Jesus Christ has actually changed my life. That is a profound statement, but you don't have to go far to find people who would actually say it. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the most important decision, my response to the gospel, most important decision I've ever made. In fact, there's like dozens, if not a couple hundred people in here, many of them would say that. So it's a great question to ask, especially when you're contemplating Christ on Easter, why do people believe this? We sang a hymn in the first service, my chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, would die for me? Like, you've got people. You may think they're crazy, you may think they're nuts, but you've got people sitting in your row who would say that Jesus Christ has changed their life. That's kind of powerful. And you don't have to go far to find them. So there's a depth to the gospel. You can find Christ even as a little kid. You can explore Christ and his message for the rest of your life and never plumb the full depths of it. Here's the second thing I want you to see in the mystery of the cross, that there is a great reversal. So Jesus is speaking to his, 
his uh, would-be followers, his disciples, and he says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. What was Jesus doing here? I believe he was leading us to a very powerful clue in the mystery of the cross. Whoever wants to become great must become a servant. Now, let me just continue to play the devil's advocate for just a moment. Some listening to this message, if asked to be honest, they would say, there is a reason I don't come to church. Like, there's, there's a reason I don't wanna be around this kind of people all the time. Because perhaps in your experience, what you found is a group of people that come together and they feel good about themselves and their beliefs and they're not like the rest of the world and stuff and everything like that. But that is not the church as Jesus intended it. In fact, embedded right here for his followers, he said, if you wanna be great, learn what it is to serve. Well, here's some things that we're discovering in this local body of believers, even right now. We are discovering the truth of this statement from Jesus Christ. Whoever wants to become great must be a servant. If you stick around here long enough, you will see servant-hearted people who are serving the homeless, who are caring for refugees, who are reaching out to their community, who are making a profound difference in their world. I don't know all of your stories, and I certainly don't know all the ways in which God is using you, and yet, I'm sort of amazed when I, when I hear some of the things that God is doing through your lives, and I'm your pastor, right? I mean, I, I, I see what God is doing through you, so if you're in that place of skepticism, understand that we are learning what it is to find greatness through service. We're not trying to be great because of our accomplishments. We're trying to be great in the way that Jesus has called us to be servants. This is the other thing that we're sort of discovering in this great reversal, that every time you serve, when you give of yourself, you you sort of die a little death, You, you pay a little price, but then you also find life. I mean, this is the universal sort of odd thing, that when you do a selfless act, You often don't want to do it, but you're often glad that you did once it's done, right? There's something life-giving about knowing that I've I've given of myself, but you've, you've died a little death in the process. What we're actually tapping into is the reality of what Jesus says. You want to learn to be great, you have to learn how to serve. And then he shows us what that actually looks like. Here's the profound mystery of the cross. It is an instrument of death but it leads us to a place of dying to self and finding real life. This is the great reversal. Much of Jesus' ministry and message is captured in his teaching. You know, when he says, you wanna be great, you have to learn to serve. You remember he also said in Luke chapter 13, he said the the, the first are gonna be last, the last are gonna be first. And then so much of his teaching, so much of his ministry dovetails into that idea. You look at how he breaks down cultural norms. Jesus declared that God, he says to a, a group of Jewish people who are, who are understanding their, their identity and their culture and everything like that, and he says, by the way, God loves Gentiles as much as he loves Jews. And people were like, they touched off a riot. I mean, people were very upset. 
by the breaking of that norm. Jesus did things like welcoming children, elevating the status of women. This was not the cultural norm in his day. Jesus frequently honored the outcasts. He told parables about tax collectors, which everybody knew in his time. Those were the rotten guys. Those were the selfish ones. Those were the sellouts. And he said, let me tell you about a tax collector who actually made peace with God. People are like, what are you doing? You're telling the story wrong. But it was all underscored with this notion the last is going to be first, first are going to be last. You want to learn to be great, you have to learn to serve. There's this, there's this upheaval that happens. The tax collectors, the lepers, the poor in a society that would say, well, of course, we don't want to be any of those things. And Jesus says, let me tell you about how my, my mercy and my grace extends there. So these accounts, um, if you read Tim Keller in this 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 phrase, the great reversal, is not unique to me. Tim Keller writes about it in his book, Hope in Times of Fear. It's a great book, actually. One of the, our leaders here at the church knew that I was a big Tim Keller fan, and he was like, have you read this book yet? And I was like, no. And he was like, well, you gotta get on it. So this was part of my Easter reading. I would recommend it to you, uh, if, especially if you wanna dig in more to the great reversal of Christ. Tim Keller says this, to be changed by Christ's great reversal, we must undergo our own reversal. Take up your cross. Give up your glory. What's he talking about? The great reversal of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21, we talked about this on Friday night. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. That in him we might become the righteousness of God. Massive reversal. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. The great reversal. To be changed by Christ's great reversal, we must undergo our own reversal. Take up your cross. Give up your glory. And this actually brings us to the end of the message. Some of you are like, sweet. We were waiting for you to be done. But don't miss the mystery of the cross and the point of decision. So Jesus is saying these words before he goes to the cross, before he goes to, before we celebrate the, the, the Easter empty tomb. He's saying this to his leaders. They're gonna look back on this and they're gonna remember the things that he taught them. He would say this to anyone who would be a follower after him. You wanna learn to be great? Learn to be a servant. Understand the sacrifice of Christ. You know, the great joy of any mystery is the twist that you didn't see coming, right? I mean, when you're reading a good book or you're watching a good movie or whatever, and it's like, oh, there, that, he was the guy. He was right there all the time. That's the one who did it. All the clues were right there. So that's what I'm saying. I think, I think the disciples probably had that experience, and we even have that experience, especially when all of a sudden the, the spiritual light bulbs go off. That's a Holy Spirit work that is activating or awakening something in us, and we go, wait a minute, this story is about me. You know, it's, we keep Jesus at arm's length. You know, we want to study him, understand his story. He, he feels very safe. 2,000 years away, Jesus feels very safe. The cross doesn't feel terribly imposing. So we keep him at arm's distance, keep him at arm's distance. And then, 
Jesus did things like this to his disciples. He said, hey guys, who do the people say that I am? And they said, well, you're a prophet, you're a teacher, you're a leader. Hey guys, who do you say that I am? You know, the point of decision with Christ is the fact that we can't keep him at an arm's distance. That eventually the question comes to us, some of us, you're going to go home, you're going to be thinking this week, and, and maybe you would try to put this out of your mind, you're like, oh, just keep Jesus at a distance, keep him at a distance, but he keeps coming with the question, but who do you say that I am? And that is the most important question that you will answer in all of your life. What do you think of Jesus? Who do you say that he is? So our point of decision, I love that, sort of definitive. What's your point of decision today? In light of the finished work of Jesus on the cross, in light of the empty tomb, in light of him maybe even coming to you and saying, who do you say that I am? Here's three decisions that we would celebrate, we want to celebrate with you. The first is on your card, you see this. It says, I'll make a decision to explore. Exploration, I wanna know more about Jesus. Let me tell you why that's actually significant and why we would celebrate that with you today. Because the Bible says that none of us are righteous. None of us seek. And you may be finding yourself at a place where you're going, There's a, there is a hunger in my life for something that I have not yet discovered. And no, I'm not ready to talk about my eternity. I'm not ready to talk about the finished work of Jesus in that, in that level yet. I'm not ready to make a commitment of that. But I need to know more. I need to dig in. We would celebrate that with you. We would love to answer questions that you're chewing on. I love to have dialogue and discussion. Hear the things that are on your heart and your mind. So the first one is just a commitment of exploration. Take that seriously if the Holy Spirit is prompting, to, prompting you today. I want to learn more about Jesus. The second one is, is a commitment to Christ. So you've been digging in, you've been looking at the truth claims of Christ, and you come to the place where you're ready to say, I want to commit my life to Christ. I've never done that before. We would love to celebrate that with you. What that means, that always goes through the door of repentance. It always goes through the door of humility. It always brings us to the place where we cannot we can't earn our way in to the good standing of, of God's favor. And man, I wish that was a little different. Like in my flesh, like, like we would like to think of a commitment to Christ this way, that God is sort of on his scouting report tonight and he's today and he's going, all right, who can I have on my team? Let's see. Oh yeah, okay, she's got some, yep, I'll take her. Yeah, oh, he's good over there. Yeah, boy, he's got some skill. Yeah, we, the, so God's sort of scouting you out but that's actually not how a commitment to Jesus works at all. We don't come to him on the basis of our good measure at all, our good works at all. And it, if, if you want it to be about you, it stinks. Because it's like, it's a death to self. It's a saying, I, I don't have what it takes. In humility, I will confess that before the Lord. I believe what he's done in my heart. I confess it with my mouth. And Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which we might be saved. That's the, the power of the empty tomb. 
is that we actually can come in in response to what he's done, commit our hearts and our lives to him. You are sitting with people right now who have done that. Talk to somebody that you know. Say, why in the world would you commit your life to Christ? Help me understand what that means. Maybe today's the day that you're ready to say, I'm ready to do that. We would love to celebrate that with you. The third one, uh, third response that we're celebrating today, again, this may not be all the things that God wants to do. There may be a hundred others. Uh, but we were talking in our staff meeting and, and saying like, well, what, what, what was it that we could celebrate together as a church family? And one of our staff said, what about baptism? You know, baptism is when you make a public declaration of your faith. So you're walking with Christ, but if you've never followed Christ in baptism, this is where you, we actually do water baptism. We dunk, it represents the death and burial of Christ. If you've never done that, we've got some services that we're gonna be bringing uh, together in the, in, later on in the year. Maybe this is the time. Yeah, I'm ready to take the plunge. I'm ready to take a step of faith. We've, I've talked to a lot of people who have actually said this. I gave my heart to Jesus, I prayed, I asked him into my life. It's good, I was glad that I did that. I wasn't really sure, I was growing. I got baptized and all of a sudden my spiritual life took off. What happened? Well, you went public with your faith. You acknowledged Jesus before others and he's saying you're, you're ready for your next assignments. So there may be, I'm sure, there's probably folks here that say, I've, I've committed my heart and life to Jesus, never yet followed him in baptism. We would love to celebrate that with you. You might have another response, just something that the Lord's been stirring, say, you know what, I, we wanna hear it. We wanna pray for you, we wanna celebrate. So, so we're gonna invite you to take some time to fill these cards out. Check the box, write your name down, let us know. We're gonna celebrate that on this Easter. So I'm gonna pray, we're gonna wrap up, worship team's gonna come up, we're gonna sing. But this is a special time we don't wanna run by. We wanna ask, make some space for the presence of the Lord here. So I'm gonna ask if you would pray with me, keep those cards handy, especially if you're saying I need to fill one of these things out, this is your time to do that. So Father, we're asking right now, and we have been praying that you would give us soft hearts, responsive hearts, because this great mystery of the gospel is that you are still changing lives. It's a little hard for us to fully understand that. It's a little hard for us to fully appreciate that. And yet I believe there's probably somebody that's listening to this message right now saying, I'm hearing the call of Christ over my life. That is a huge privilege. And I can't make a decision for you. I don't wanna make a decision for you. But I would ask you to simply make some space. Say, God, what would you ask of me? I wanna learn more about Jesus. Check the box, write your name down. Let's dig in. Let's take a journey. Let's see where it goes. I wanna make a first time commitment to Christ. I've, I've never bowed my knee to him, so in, in humility, I'm, I'm stepping out in faith. Check the box, write your name down. We wanna pray for you, we wanna encourage you. Best commitment, most important decision you're gonna make. Somebody else, I'm ready to go public, I'm ready to take the plunge, literally. Let's, let's do this baptism thing, check the box. 
Fill out your name. We want to celebrate with you. Something else that God's stirring on your heart, write it down. Write down your name. Let us celebrate with you. The mystery of the cross is revealed in the depths of the gospel. You will not exhaust this treasure. It is revealed in the great reversal from death to life. Take up your cross. Give up your glory. Jesus is calling. It is revealed in this point of decision. Who do you say that I am? Jesus is still asking that question. Next week, we're going to talk about access to God. And we've got a special prayer service. This week, we celebrate the empty tomb. He is risen. Let's make some space for him in worship as we close. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Happy Easter. And we love you.